I wonder if you've ever felt excluded from something, that somehow who you are or what you think or what you've done or what you think other people think about you, all of that makes you or leaves you feeling left out or on the margins or not able to join in, somehow excluded. Maybe at work with a team you're supposed to be working with, or at college with a bunch of young people in your year group, or with a bunch of mums at the school gates, or with a group of friends. You know, sometimes, sadly, faith organisations or people of faith can make other people feel that way, feel excluded, not necessarily consciously, but unconsciously maybe. And Christians and churches are certainly not exempt from that. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of feeling excluded by somebody or some organisation or even a church and that's left you feeling hurt or bruised or kind of on the outside. Or maybe you think that if you did ever engage with a church or with a church community, somehow you might feel excluded and you're anxious about that, which is why you've never dipped your toe in the church water. You wonder, maybe if there is a God, can he possibly be for me? You might be wondering that if you're a Jesus follower even, is God really for me? You might be wondering whether you could be included in God's plans and purposes and in his church. And maybe for some of you watching, this pandemic has actually been kind of a blessing for you because you've been able to watch online without fear of being with a bunch of people who you worry about whether you'll fit in with or somehow that they might judge you, even if that isn't the case. Or maybe you're a Christian and you're a Jesus follower and you felt excluded from certain groups or conversations because of your faith. Or maybe you've seen some of the interactions on social media about Jesus or about God or about faith and you worry that if you popped your head above the parapet and revealed yourself to be a person of faith, you'd be the subject of sarcastic comments or maybe even worse. Maybe you've worried about how to stand up for what you believe in discussions and conversations at the office or at college or at school or with friends. You know, the first followers of Jesus faced, I think, many of those same questions and issues. And on top of that, many of them found it really difficult to embrace the new freedoms that Jesus had told them about and had bought for them. They found it really hard to move into the new thing that Jesus had done and to leave behind some of their old behaviours, some of their old attitudes and some of their old habits. They found it difficult to live in the light of that new freedom and to step into the new movement that Jesus had founded and commanded them to be a part of. And it nearly derailed that new movement before it had even started. And they had that worry that if they put their heads above the parapet, and if they revealed themselves to be people of faith, then persecution might have followed. You know, it took two really important moments in the early struggle of those first Jesus followers and of those first churches for things to change and for all of them to be able to step into this new thing and into this new freedom and to leave the old behind. And it's no exaggeration to say that we're here today because of those pivotal moments. And over the next two weeks, we're going to dig into them a bit as we conclude this Aftermath series, because they're so important and they have so much to teach us, whether we're a Jesus follower or not. Today, 
We're going to start by seeing some events unfolding that were a crucial step in the progress of the new movement of Jesus. One of these pivotal moments in the history of the church. And as we see these events unfolding, we're going to discover together who God is really for. Can we be included? And if we're Jesus followers, how we can talk about our faith in ways that are helpful and engaging. You know, Peter was one of those first followers of Jesus. He'd been with Jesus throughout his ministry and he'd seen everything that had gone on. He was an eyewitness and he had this radical transformation from being a denier of even knowing Jesus when Jesus was arrested, from being full of fear when Jesus was killed into a courageous and passionate advocate for Jesus and his cause. And following that transformation, Peter had traveled around the country telling people about what he had seen with his own eyes, telling people about that transformation. But he had been sticking to telling the people that he knew best, the people he was comfortable with, the people who were kind of in his in crowd, if you like, the people who were like him, people who were steeped and practiced in the Jewish faith. Then one day on one of these travels, on one of Peter's journeys, he was approaching this city of Caesarea and he stopped at a house for something to eat. And while he was waiting for the food to be prepared, he was praying and he saw a vision. And in that vision, God spoke to Peter and challenged his thinking. And while Peter was wondering about all of this, some messages were sent by a Roman centurion called Cornelius. And they came to the house where Peter was and invited Peter to come and visit with Cornelius in Caesarea. Now imagine you're Peter here. You've grown up surrounded by Jewish uh, religious thinking and practice. You are steeped in it. It's who you are. And some of that thinking suggested that you shouldn't fraternize with non-Jews and you certainly shouldn't eat the same kind of food that they ate. For him, it wouldn't have been simply something that he did or some rules that he followed. It would have been a part of who he was, a very part of his identity. And on top of all of that, he was being invited to go to the home of a soldier, a commander in the Roman army, the army that were occupying his country, oppressing his people, and who had been instrumental in putting his friend Jesus to death. So this was a massive deal. Everything Peter knew, everything he'd been taught, everything he'd experienced said, don't do it. Don't associate with these people. What would you do? What would you have done if you were Peter? Well, the next day, Peter went with those messengers to the house of Cornelius. And we're going to take a look at what happened when Peter got there. It's in a book of the Bible called Acts, and it it tells the story of the birth of this new movement of Jesus. It comes right after the stories of Jesus' life in that New Testament. And I'd love for you to follow along, and you can follow along on the screen with me as I read a chunk of it here. You can follow along if you've got a Bible and you want to open it to Acts chapter 10. You can follow along on the YouVersion live event, the YouVersion Bible app live event that's going on for this live stream right now. So let's start in verse 27. So Peter has gone to uh, Cornelius's house. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Now, I I have this picture in my mind when I think of all of this, this story, when I think of this scene, I imagine Peter standing on the threshold to the centurion's home. And I imagine him kind of in his mind working himself up to be able to go in. I can do this. I can do this. I can go in. I can go in. And he steps across the threshold and into the house and the room is full of people. 
The house would have been big because a Roman centurion would have been well off. The house would have been big. And it's not just Cornelius. Oh no, it's full. It's a large gathering. I wonder what Peter's making of all of this now. The family and friends of Cornelius are all there. Men, women, children. And Peter's opening line, which we're going to look at in just a second. Peter's opening line is so good. It reminds us that this is Peter that we're talking about. And if you know anything about Peter, you know this is the Peter who often opened his mouth without thinking and put his foot right in it. This is the Peter who sometimes spoke without thinking because his opening line is really pretty offensive. Look what he says in verse 28. He said to them, all of these people gathered, all of these non-Jewish people gathered in this room, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Gentile was the term that the Jewish people used for non-Jews. He says, you know, it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Well, basically, Peter is saying here, you're all really, really well aware that it's against the law, against our religious law, for me to even come and be with you today. We don't hang out with you. We don't visit your homes. This wasn't my idea. I wouldn't normally have come. And we'd be like, if we were there with Peter, we'd be like, Peter, Peter, stop. Stop talking. Stop digging. You're making a really big hole for yourself. But he doesn't stop digging. He goes on, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Because up until God spoke to me a day or two ago, I certainly would have called you all unclean and impure. What a great opening. Stop digging, Peter. Oh, and uh, by the way, why did you send for me? Well, then uh, graciously, Cornelius explains that he too had had a vision from God that encouraged him to invite Peter to his home. And once Cornelius has explained that, if we shoot on to verse 34, this is what we read. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter's saying, I was steeped in this old thinking. I was steeped in, in my upbringing in, in, and in my religious identity. I was steeped in it and it said I should consider somebody who wasn't a Jew unclean or impure. I shouldn't have been here. But Peter's then saying, but I now realize that something new is happening. The old law, that old set of promises between the Jewish people and God has been superseded by something new and something better, something that is radically inclusive. Peter's kind of saying, I now realize just what Jesus meant when he said, go into all the world and tell them about me. Peter's saying, I now realize that Jesus was unleashing something new and that God is for everyone. God doesn't show favoritism. And he goes on to tell them about Jesus, verse 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The Jesus, who is Lord of all, is truly Lord of all, for everyone, no exceptions. And he carries on to tell them the story, and they're spellbound. You see, they've heard bits, they, they know a bit about it. But now they're hearing it from someone who was actually there. And of course, many of these events, events took place not far from where they actually were in Caesarea. And so Peter goes on to tell them a story of Jesus. And again, if we just jump forward a couple of verses, in verse 39, he says, We are witnesses of everything he, that is Jesus, did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. 
He says, we. You see, Peter would have been there with some other people. And, and I imagine him kind of looking around going, we, we, us, are witnesses of everything he did. We saw it. We saw it with our own eyes. We were there. We saw him killed on a cross. And I think there's a beautiful symmetry here that I wouldn't want us to miss. Because the, je- the day Jesus was killed on the cross, another Roman centurion was there alongside the cross. And that other Roman centurion saw Jesus die and proclaimed, truly, this man was the Son of God. And now Peter is standing in the home of another Roman centurion, explaining to him what had happened on that day and what happened three days later. There's a beautiful symmetry to this. And Peter says that this is the clincher in all of this. The clincher was that we saw him and we met him, Jesus, risen from the dead. And once again, as we've been saying throughout this series, we get to this crucial event that changed everything. Jesus rose from the dead. This was the basis upon which everything was happening, on which their message was centered, on which their faith was built, on which they were building faith into those they were meeting and those who were listening to them. The aftermath of that first Easter was the birth of a new movement, this thing that would change the world and establish the church, and it was built on the eyewitness accounts about a man who had risen from the dead. And then just a few verses later, this whole deal of God not showing favoritism and God being for everyone was sealed. Look at what happens in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's the Jews who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. See here, we get to a little bit of their thinking again. This was still so radical for them that they were astonished but the same thing happened to these gentile people that happened to the first followers of jesus just after jesus had given them his last instructions on what we call the day of pentecost that you can read about earlier on in acts in acts chapter 2 the same thing happened here as happened on that day the holy spirit the presence of god came on all of them all of them you see god was showing once again that he was for everyone everybody could have access to god and peter and the jewish people with him were astonished see their world was being turned upside down and before we judge them too harshly remember this was a complete reversal of what they'd known and been taught for all of their lives and this was a pivotal moment in the aftermath of the resurrection and the history of the church and of the movement of jesus See, from this moment, everything changed once again, and the message spread even more quickly. And as we shall see, next week it wasn't all plain sailing, and this old thinking still resurfaced. Change wasn't easy. It never is. But we'll see next week how this message spread and some of the struggles they had with that, but where God led them. You know, I have the privilege of being involved with an organization called Lead Academy, who for the last 10 years or so have worked with hundreds of churches, helping their leadership teams develop plans and strategies to pursue their God-given potential. A few weeks ago, the Lead Academy team were about to run a webinar for church leaders, and that webinar was being advertised far and wide on social media. 
In fact, Chris Chules, who you saw earlier, who works with us here at ABC, he also does some work for Lead Academy, and he was leading that advertising campaign. And I noticed one day that a furious debate had broken out in the comments section of the Facebook advert for that event. Some people had started posting some negative comments that started with how God was a myth and a crutch for weak people, and then escalated to the idea of a creator being a fairy tale, and then went on about how the Old Testament was full of unbelievable stories and horrible atrocities. And I noticed that some Christians were trying to engage in the conversation and challenge some of those comments, and it really wasn't going very well. You know, these days, when people want to challenge Christianity or challenge Jesus or challenge God in conversation or on social media, they invariably want to argue about obscure theology or different Old Testament stories. It can leave Christians struggling to engage or anxious about commenting, and it can leave people who aren't Christians wondering what this God stuff is all about, and it can really put them off. And of course, there are important discussions to be had about some of those difficult stories in the Old Testament, about some of the strange and un unusual things that are in it, and there are times and places to have those discussions. But what I notice about Peter and those first followers of Jesus is that they started their conversations about God and about Jesus in a totally different place. They started with what they'd seen. They started with the resurrection of Jesus. They knew that if someone could die a horrific death on a cross and rise again, then that was the whole ball game right there. See, I think if Peter was in on a conversation on social media or in some other setting, and he saw or heard those arguments and those challenges, he might say something like this. Look, I know our history. I know where I've come from. I know that amongst some of the great stuff in our history, there is some stuff that's difficult to understand and that isn't so great. And let's have a conversation about that at some point. But I must just tell you, that's not the reason why I'm here today. That's not the reason why I've changed from a Jesus denier to a Jesus follower. I've changed because I met a man who had risen from the dead. I saw it with my own eyes. And that's everything. And I think that there's something really important here when we're thinking about God and whether we're going to take that step to follow Jesus with our lives or when we're talking to other people about the Christian faith or we're responding to the challenges that people want to throw at it. Sometimes some of the stuff in the Bible and in particular in the Old Testament is difficult to understand, difficult to debate, difficult to get your mind around. And it's a part of our history and it's a wonderful part of our history. But those things are not the basis of our faith. That's not why I'm a Jesus follower. The basis of our faith, the reason why I'm a Jesus follower, is because I am convinced that the evidence for the resurrection is overwhelming. Jesus lived, died on a cross, and rose again from the dead. People saw it, wrote about it, and that's what formed the basis of the early church. And that's why the message of Jesus spread so quickly and so far, because people had seen a man who had risen from the dead. And by the way, when they saw him risen from the dead, they remembered the prophecies in their history as a people that had predicted this would happen. And they remembered those things. They realized that was part of their history, and it all came together for them. The other great lesson we need to learn today from Peter is that those of us who are church people, who are Jesus followers, must stand up and pay, pay the price of helping people in the other group. See, those Gentile people were considered outsiders or others to Peter before this dramatic change in him. 
And we need to learn the lesson of who might we either subconsciously or even consciously consider to be others, consider to be outside or outsiders, people who might feel excluded, who aren't welcome or feel like they're not welcome, people who felt just like Cornelius and his family and friends felt. Who are the others in our context, in our world? Here's some suggestions. Maybe it's young people who struggle to connect with church, the ways that we do things or the older styles of our worship music. Or maybe it's people who are far from God who don't understand our language. Maybe it's people who do things differently or who might not normally engage with Jesus or church. What's the faith of the next generation's worth to us? What will we give to reach out to younger generations to ensure that the message of Jesus is passed on and his church thrives in the future? I say it's worth everything and we should be prepared to give everything. What's the faith of people who are far from God worth? I say everything because God is for everyone, no exceptions. Those who are far from God and those who have been left out. And next week, we're going to pick up this theme once again when we talk about not making it difficult for people who are turning to God. But for now, I want to finish by saying, if you wonder if God is for you, or if you've ever felt excluded or judged, or that you couldn't possibly be loved by God, know that God is for you. God is for everyone, no exceptions. And if that feeling of being excluded or that God couldn't be for you has stopped you from taking steps in your journey of faith or steps to start following Jesus. I, hear, I hope you hear from the ancient story of Peter and discovered what he discovered. The resurrected Jesus is for everyone. And maybe you take that step of faith to discover him. We can help you with that. Just get in touch with us. Direct message us or wherever you want to do that. Just get in touch with us and we'd love to help you. Explore who Jesus is and how he is for you. And if you're a Jesus follower, can I challenge you not to be anxious about engaging with those who are far from God, to remember that God is for everyone, but be ready to engage from a starting point of the resurrected Jesus and his work in your life. And our final challenge, all of us together, let's be looking out for who might be the others who might feel outside, or who, however subconsciously we have led to feel like they are outside. Let's be prioritizing them in our own lives and in our church too. Let's do that even this week. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that in giving us Jesus and in telling us the stories about what happened to those first Jesus followers, you are reminding us that you are for everyone, no exceptions. I want to pray for anybody who's watching this, listening to this in our main hall today, who has felt excluded or felt that you couldn't be for them. Lord God, I pray that they would hear this today, that it would heal their hearts, maybe where they've been wounded in the past. And I pray that they would take that step to just reconnect with you, to connect with you maybe for the first time to find the God who is for them, for everyone. And Lord God, I pray that you challenge each and every one of us to be reaching out to those who might feel like they're on the outside or might have been viewed like they were on the outside. Help us to reach out to the young, 
to those who are far from you, to those who have never graced the door of a church or never set foot metaphorically online to engage with the church. And Lord God, I pray for each and every one of us that you would remind us, even in these moments and as we continue to worship you together now, that you are for us. Amen.